Welcome to Strategic Insights, brought to you by PrideStaff. On each episode, we bring you interviews with leading management and employment experts from across the country. Your host for Strategic Insights is Brad Smith. And now, here's Brad. Hello, and thank you so much for listening in to Strategic Insights from Pride Staff. I'm your host, Brad Smith, and today I'm excited. We have part two of our series on job candidate expectations. Joining me today is Don Renson, strategic partner and owner of the Thousand Oaks Pride Staff Office. Don, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me here, Brad. So, Don, I mentioned in part one, we talked a lot about the challenges we face with a candidate-driven market and how employers need to be open to transferable skills, more flexibility, changing tone in their recruitment, marketing, and their ads. And we talked a little bit about what employees really value today. I want to hone in and focus on the newest entrance into the workforce today, the Gen Z. They're a very unique group of of people coming in. And as employers, we need to shift, we need to adapt, and we need to be open to it. When you look at the overall workforce right now, we have four main generations. We have the baby boomers. The challenge there is that they're retiring in droves. They're taking a lot of knowledge with them and thought leadership with them. So as organizations, we need to plan for that. We need to look at a knowledge transfer plan and make sure we're bringing in the right people early enough in the process so that we can retain that expertise. Then we have Gen X. These are people born between 1965 and 1980. This is mainly the first generation with two income families. And these people are fiercely independent and typically very self-reliant. Then the next generation are millennials. These are the people that are born between 1981 and 1996. And this was really our first generation to grow up with computers and the internet. They're digital natives, they're tech savvy, and they have a strong sense of social justice. And Don mentioned in episode one, a lot of these people want to make sure that they align with organizations that share their values, that share their social causes. It's going to be very important for millennials and Gen Z that we adapt and align with those those values. The millennials right now are the biggest group here, and they're assuming management and leadership roles. And then finally, Gen Z. These are people that were born between 1997 in 2012, and then the newest generation entering the workforce. They're highly connected digital natives. They have a very diverse and global worldview and maybe a different relationship with work. Don, if you don't mind, let's briefly discuss that last point there. I want to make sure that we understand and meet the expectations of the Gen Z demographic and their relationship to work. In your experience, how does their relationship to work differ from maybe the boomers and Gen X? I think there has been a massive shift in 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 work work relations between the boomers and the newer generation. So when you think of it, when when the boomers when the boomers started their career, even even some of the Generation X, there was a a, there was a an excess in talent. There was there was a market where there was there were many many people fighting for the same job. So. That generation, especially in corporate, was taught that they were always replaceable. You had to work really, really hard to keep your position. And if you didn't, there was always somebody waiting and eager to take your position. So there was a, and now it's the reverse, right? So basically, when you think of it now, we are in a situation where there are more jobs than talent. So first of all, 
I think it's important to know that if there's a generational conflict, right? If you have a management layer, let's say especially the more senior management, because they're by sheer age, they have worked longer. Um, that is used to a, a, a work environment where people were trained to work really hard and always look over their shoulder for somebody to kind of take their job. Dealing with a new generation that comes in and says, well, hey, if this doesn't work out, I have like five other options. Um, you can imagine that's that's a generation, that's that's the kind of a, a generation gap. And there's a lot of misunderstanding on what motivates people. There's a lot of misunderstanding between management, classic management and, and new uh, entrants in the workforce, or what it takes to motivate people, what are the right incentives, what are people looking for? Another way of, of thinking about Gen Z, I always like to kind of paint a picture on how they were raised. When you think of it, a, a Generation Z has never had a life without a mobile phone. People tend to forget the first iPhone was in 2007. There were like other phones before that. But obviously, if you've never had a life without a mobile phone, you automatically assume that life is always connected. Life is always online and life is always there. So they are uh, they're not just computer savvy. They're not just tech savvy. They also expect to always have every information, everything at their fingertip. Um, that's an integral part of their their life and their input. So where a lot of older generations have a hard time accepting that Gen Z is always on their phone, it is because the phone is an integral part of their life. So there's a lot of different dynamics at play here. And thinking about from a, a Gen Xer seat, when you grew up working 60, 80 hour weeks and you see somebody come in that isn't willing to do that, how does that make you feel? And, and as leaders, as company leaders, how do we get over that? I, I think that the first step is always to kind of just put yourself in the other person's shoes, right? I think it's always, I think a good way of, of, of closing, of ending miscommunication is is just assume yourself in that other position and, and like, I, like I said just before, like realize how that new generation grew up. That still makes it hard because if you've had 10, 20, 30 years of like mental training, that's how you work. It is hard. So what does it mean? Right? Let a new generation, um, I have the number here. I think for Generation Z, it is expected that they probably change jobs 10 times during their career, probably even before they turn 40. So that is the new normal. If you are raised in a in a period, let's say you you started your career in the '90s, and it was still normal to have a job for life, maybe two three jobs during your whole career, that is a different thing. So just accepting that a new generation is coming in and is seeing a job as a contract, where basically they're saying, "I I give you I give you my capacity, I give you my skills, but just realize that in three four years from now I'm going to move on." And I think as an as a as an employer, it's very important to realize that that's what you have. And let's assume you have three years. That means you're gonna you're gonna have a very you need a very efficient way to train people to get them up to speed as fast as possible. And then you're gonna have two three years out of that person before you should assume that they will be moving on to another another position. From the the candidate point of view, we should also realize that for most people to make a career. It is physically impossible to make to have many careers within companies because there aren't that many layers left. 
So careers are either horizontal, where you just go into another category, another career, or if you want to make a career within your category or within your within your special specialization, you have to hop jobs. You have to you have to move jobs to actually make a step in salary and make a step in in in, in experience. So as moment the moment you know that as an employer. I think that will help a lot of employers realizing and understanding why that's the case. Yeah. And I love your emphasis on quick, efficient training and onboarding. Very important because we do have some limited shelf life of candidates today. And we, we just have to expect that as, as more tenured managers. Now, Don, I want to talk a little bit about recruiting Gen Z. So you're constantly, you and your team are constantly recruiting new talent. When you're talking with the newest entrants into today's workforce, what is most important to them? What are some of their unique preferences and what are they looking for in a position or a company? There are, there are soft and hard values. I think we should also realize that this is a, Gen Z is a generation that grew up with uh, with wage stagnation, right? There wasn't, there isn't much growth in weight, uh, in salaries. And a lot of them are coming to a workforce where it's really crushing student death. So on the one hand, they are very financially motivated because they are, they need to pay for a student student death, and they are finding that they need, they need to find ways to kind of get an increase in salary. That's the that's the rational part. I think the 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 softer part is that this generation is very aware of uh, of values. They they want to work for companies they can associate with. They want to work for companies that stand for the same values that they have. So I mean, we all we might all know Simon Sinek. He is a, um, a philosopher, or give him give him a title, but he he has this famous um, uh, diagram that basically says the what the the, the what the how and the why. Um, so uh, and the why is like why are you doing what you do? What is the why of your job? And I think every every a lot of younger generation employees they ask themselves why am I doing this job? And they want to have an employer that basically gives them a reason to. That means that any employer that does good, that leaves the world a better place before, after than before, that any employer that where uh, a candidate feels like they're adding something good to the world has a major benefit. I love that you brought up Simon Sinek. He's one of my favorite authors and, and speakers. And I love starting with the why. So as you're crafting your job descriptions, as you're working in leading your teams, you really need to connect the dots for employees and make sure that they truly understand what their why is. How do they fit into the greater good that your company is doing? How do they impact the world positively? And if you can show them that path and you can show them that their why aligns with your company's why, and they're making a greater impact on the world, you're going to drive productivity, you're going to drive innovation, and you're going to improve retention across your entire organization. So again, when thinking that, or even rolling out a new company initiative, start with the why. Think about the why behind this, and that's a great way to rally the troops and get people behind that. Now, Don, I want to build on this a little bit more and talk more specifically about recruitment strategies. Where and how do employers attract this growing audience, the newest people entering the workforce? And is there something that they need to do different beyond just thinking about the why? 
I think one way of looking at it, I think personality becomes a lot more important. So personality means your personality as a company. That's like the bigger picture, but also the personality of diversity and personalities within your company. So if I take my own company, on purpose, I've, I've, I've built a very diverse team because I realized that the personality that my recruiters have that's what connect. That's what connects them to both candidates and clients. And there will be to take two extremes. We have um, people that are very outgoing, bubbly, and they will connect with different candidates and different clients than first people that are highly efficient, almost nerdy in their in their rationale, and they connect with other clients and candidates. And I think having that diversity in your company will help you to be attractive to candidates and i think clients as well to be honest and it all boils down to that people are looking for a personal connection there's also i mean as a, as a little side discussion there brad if, if if people ask me will ai take over your business i think as a as an owner of a staffing company that personality that personal connection you build with both your clients and your candidates that is so unique and cannot be taken over with ai for the time being uh, so it's also a, a longer term strategy to kind of remain relevant in this business. I love that concept of AI too. Thinking about how you could potentially use AI to speed up the process where you can get to the point where you're building that more personal connection. So looking at it to to more efficiently do those things that don't require that personal connection to free your recruiters, free your team free your leaders, your managers up to build those personal connections, I think is very important. Don, in part one of this series, we talked about how there's a massive shortage in some industries and how workers are transitioning from other industries and making career changes. One area that we're, we're seeing a massive shortage in is the light industrial and manufacturing talent. What do companies in those spaces do to attract people? Because we've been ingrained and hit over the head over the last decade, maybe more, that you need to go to college, you need to go to college, you need to go to college. What do we do? Because there is a big gap there for people in the light industrial and manufacturing sector that are looking to hire that just can't find that talent that's willing to take those non-degreed positions. And I don't want to offend anybody, but I, I hate to say, but I think that industry as a total has done a pretty poor job in marketing their 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 their, their jobs and their the career path as a viable path for a lot of people. To give an example, I think a lot of if you look at machine shops and, and light industrial, there's a lot of very small it's it's very fragmented. There are a lot of many, many smaller companies that need that really never banded together and sold their career path as a viable option to name some numbers. If you are a skilled machinist or you are a skilled HVAC uh, repairman or per, a repair person, you can easily make 80,000 or $100,000 a year. Uh, and I would, and I would, I would, I would argue that for a lot of people coming out of high school, the system pushes a lot of people towards college and where I think what we need as a country, what we need as an industry is is a well-established system where a people are aware of the fact that that there are viable career path a very lucrative career path when you work with your hands and hands-on um and i think maybe a good example is like uh, germany has a long established really solid program with apprenticeships 
where the many incentives for both candidates and, and, and employers to, to take on apprentices and teach them on the job how to, how to get a skill, which makes it worthwhile for both the employer investing time and effort in teaching a person and giving a candidate a great career path to kind of become a skilled, a skilled, uh, a skilled laborer. I'm seeing the first signs that people are bending together. And I think there are some really hopeful first signs that both the industry and the government is is realizing this is an issue. It will take a few years before we see the ship turning and see that happening. But I just want to shout it out from the roofs, from the highest roofs, that skilled labor is a very, very viable career path for many people that might now linger in having gone to college with a high quality death and uh, student depth, and they might have been much better off skipping college and going to uh, to uh, skilled labor. So I'm encouraged to hear that you're seeing some signs of that shifting right now in organizations, things like chambers, industry groups, things like that, getting together to uh, do a little bit more lobbying in that side. But as end employers, we need to do a better job of tying the why back to this type of work. Why is this work important? What's the benefit to the end employee? There's great opportunity for upward mobility in these spaces. There's amazing opportunity to learn new skills that are in extremely high demand. And people coming out of high school don't incur that high volume of college debt and educational debt that that hangs over them for years and maybe decades in into their life. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that we're making some improvements, but I think there's a, a long ways to go. And as end employers, we can do a great job of telling the successful stories of the people in these roles that are working for us right now. And let's shout that, as Don mentioned, from the rooftop so that everybody can see that. Don, I alluded to this earlier, but every time I mention millennials or Gen Z to baby boomers and Gen X, you can almost sense a little bit of tension. Talk to me a little bit about some common misconceptions you see that, as employers, uh, we might need to get over. I think we already touched upon job hopping. I think I just want to highlight again that job hopping doesn't mean unloyal. I think we should we should separate being loyal to the company by staying long. I think for Gen Z, being loyal means I'm super loyal to you for three or four years, and then I move on. So I think that's the first, that's the that's a very important one, a very often misunderstood. I think also that the daily work routine is kind of very often misunderstood. For a lot of people, like I said, that, that never knew a time, never knew a time before mobile phone. What we're seeing is that they they don't work four hours, go to lunch, work another four hours and go home. They typically work in in highly concentrated, like let's say micro blocks of work take a micro break and then go back to work. And and that's also how they're being raised, right? If you think of, this is a, a generation that has been raised with video gaming and what have you. So they have periods where they're highly concentrated and really give it all and then need to step out for five to 10 minutes, just take a, take a breather and go back to work. As long as you know this, and as long as you recognize that they are having shorter periods of high focus, then they actually tend to be highly functional, highly productive, and highly efficient. It's just a different work, like rhythm in a way. Yeah, it's a different relationship with work. Now, I get that and I understand that, but as leaders of an organization, sometimes it's it's tough to deal with. How do you go about making accommodations for 
certain part of the workforce and making sure that you're firm with what needs to get done. Let's take a step back. I think all the, the older way of managing a workforce is, is by having key performance indicators, basically action driven. If you do these actions, you get to that, you get to the results. I think a younger generation says, what do you expect me to do? And give me more leeway and flexibility, how I get there. Mm-hmm. So as an example, um, Take an example, like a, a classic old way of managing staff would be you have to make so many phone calls. You have to do, you have to create so many reports. You have to do so many things. It's very numerical, what you need to do, action-driven. How many actions do you need to take to be successful? A younger generation says, tell me how many reports I need at the end of the day and give me freeway, give me leeway how I get there. Mm-hmm. So it's a different, I think it's, it's as a manager, you need to learn to manage your your employees different. And I think it also comes in handy. That's another topic we haven't discussed yet, Brad, is a, um, how about remote work, hybrid work, and what have you. When you think of it, if you manage a team by defining actions, how to get there, and people work remote, it's very hard to, to actually check if they have to, if, if they made those actions. However, if you if you value your team based on what they what they create and what they what the deliverables are in the end, and give them more leeway how to get there, that's also a recipe to be more successful in, in remote work and hybrid. So I think it's 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 assuming that in some categories hybrid work is a is a new normal. I think that's another thing that a lot of employees, as our employers, need to learn and need to change to effectively manage their workforce. So just to kind of recap things, we need to number one make sure and know that there are generational differences. People have different relationships with work, and that's okay. We need to make sure that everyone in the organization understands their why, and their why aligns with their professional and personal goals and those of the company. We need to make sure that we know that people work in different capacities and be open to that, and we need to clearly and in concisely identify what the expectations are and make sure that that's communicated throughout the entire organization. Don, thank you so much. Just amazing takeaway for today. For organizations and companies that are looking to attract talent in this market right now, any closing words of wisdom? Ooh, um, I should have prepared this, Brad. Uh, no, big, big topic. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's one it's one little one little closing word that that uh, it's another thing I forgot to mention in this discussion is that Generation Z really values personal relations even at work. So what it also means is that Generation Z, they're looking for feedback. This is not this is not a, a this is a highly critical, highly self-critical uh, uh, generation, and they want a manager that actually tells them on a much more frequent basis how they're doing, how they can improve, and how they can how they can get better. Don, thank you again so much for those listening. I hope you found some value in today's episode. If you are currently hiring, you need assistance, you need help with how to recruit in specific markets, specific industries, specific types of individuals, reach out to your local Pride staff office. We are here to help. They do this 24-7 and recruit around the clock to make sure that you get the talent you need to drive productivity in your organization. Don, for all of us and all of those listening, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Brad. Take care. Thank you for listening to Strategic Insights, brought to you by Pride Staff. Whether you're looking for high-level workforce consulting or staffing help to meet demands, Pride Staff is here to help.